Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You glad to be at church today? Amen. Well, I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're in this room or you're watching online. Let me also extend another welcome to our VIPs, all of our first-time guests. One more time, let's give it up for our VIPs today. So glad to have you with us, and I pray you are blessed by worshiping with the BT family today. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as the senior pastor here at BT Church, and I have the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in Galatians chapter 2? We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, We love to celebrate what God is doing here at BT, and so let's celebrate uh, a few things together. First off, so far this year, 95 people have gone from death to life, calling upon the name of Jesus for the gift of salvation. And we've had 37 people be obedient with believer's baptism, going into the baptistries of our five campuses and making that decision public. And we have baptisms today. By the end of the day, we'll be at 40-plus baptisms for the year. Simply put, God is on the move, and in his grace, he's allowing us to be a part of it. Uh, Speaking of God being on the move, I uh, shared last week, we started a sermon series entitled Renovation. It's six weeks in length, but... It also goes along with a generosity initiative that we are entering into as a church. And if you weren't with us last week, let me first off say I encourage you to watch last week's sermon. You can go to YouTube and search BT Church or download our app, go to our website, bt.church, and find that sermon so you can get caught up. Uh, But secondly, if you heard me say generosity initiative and you immediately started to tense up saying, oh, I came to the church on the day they're talking about money. Uh, Well, good news, we're going to talk about it for the next five weeks, so you just keep coming. Um, But hear me, it's not simply about money, it's about what God has done at our church for 38 years, what he's doing, but also what we believe he wants to continue to do through the life of our church in the future. And so I am so excited for this season uh, called Renovation. If you came last week, I hope you grabbed one of these books. Maybe you picked one up today. But this book, uh, it really goes into detail, if you haven't heard the news yet, about what renovation is all about. This book also has the sermon outline, so you can take notes and bring it back with you. It has questions for your community group discussion. Get in a group if you're not in one. It has uh, weekly devotions, lots of resources. And I want to make sure that everybody has one. And so in case you didn't get one, I want you to raise your hand. I know you're like, oh, I don't want to raise my hand. But we want to make sure you get one. we got people going around the room. Just lift your hand up. Hold it up till you get one. If your arm gets tired, switch arms. And so they're going to hand the books out, but I'm going to keep talking as we make sure everyone has a copy of our renovation book. Um, So renovation, as I shared, it's a six-week sermon series, uh, but it's also uh, an initiative, a two-year initiative where we want to challenge ourselves as individuals, families, and a church uh, to, to seek the heart of God in our generosity. At the end of the day, we give because he gave, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Uh, we also know we cannot outgive God. But hear me, beloved, uh, don't, don't think this is simply about resources and finances. Uh, th- that, that is part of the initiative. We want to challenge ourselves to higher levels of generosity. Uh, by the way, we will wrap up our two-year generosity initiative the same time we'll celebrate our 40th anniversary as a church. And so what I believe is that God is calling us to this season to celebrate and honor the first 40 years, but to set us up for the next 40 years, right? And, and so, uh, but, but it's not just that God's going to challenge us in our giving. I, I believe that, that God is going to give us opportunities to trust him more. I, I believe we're going to go to uh, 
uh, deeper levels of trust and surrender and faith. I believe uh, chains of addiction are going to be broken. I believe homes are going to find restoration. Uh, I believe powerful, miraculous things are going to happen. And yes, generosity is going to be a part of it because here's the deal. We can't say God has all of us if we withhold something from him. And at the end of the day, Jesus said it best when he said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And not only that, but as we shared last week, you know, the, the scripture speaks of one subject in which we are to test God. Only now, now listen, I, I said this in the first service. Uh, there's one subject the Bible says, test me, and God says, test me, and that's the subject of trusting God with our resources, with our finances. So don't get out of here and try to test God in other areas. That's a bad plan, okay? But, but God says through the prophet Malachi, test me in this way and see if I won't open the windows of heaven, right? What does that mean? Test me and see if I won't unleash my provision. Test me and see if I won't rebuke the devourer, if I won't unleash my protection. And by the way, when you walk in the provision and the protection of God, you are living in the promise of God. And by the way, when, when, when God says, test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven, I want to be clear. It doesn't mean that when we begin to trust God with our tithes and our offerings and with our money that, that God miraculously gives us more money. He might. But at the end of the day, financial resources are temporary. Peace that passes understanding is not. Joy that comes in the morning is not. Mercy that is new every day is not. Hope that gets us through the darkness is not. And that's what gets unlocked when we start to fully trust God with all that we have. So through this initiative, our number one goal is that everyone who calls BT their home church would jump on board and join us in the journey. That, that's our number one goal, right? Some of you uh, may already feel that God has been speaking clearly to you and how you want to be a part of this initiative. By the way, your uh, renovation book, some of you got one last week, you got one today, has the commitment card in it. I encourage you as an individual or family to pray over that. Uh, tonight, we're having a special night of worship. You heard Danny talk about it, the renovation revival. You may have seen the tent when you pulled on campus. We're inviting all of our campuses in the valley to come together. We'll have a separate renovation revival in the coastal bend. Tonight we're going to worship. We're going to spend a lot of time in worship. We're going to seek the face of God. I'm going to share some from Scripture about the subject of generosity. And then those that are ready to step forward, we're going to ask those that are ready to make the commitment to, to turn in the commitment card tonight. It's going to be a powerful time. You think we're inviting all the valley campuses. That tent doesn't look big enough. You're right, but the parking lot sure is. So we're going to pray for a little bit cooler weather. We're going to have a great time. So it might be that, that, that some of us tonight, the Lord has spoken clearly and we're ready to turn in that commitment card. By the way, let me just say this. Tonight, those of us, I, my, my family will turn in our commitment card tonight, but we're going to keep praying because April 2nd is our commitment Sunday. And it might be between tonight and April 2nd, God changes what he wants us to do, right? But at the end of the day, our number one goal is really that everyone who calls BT their home church would, would join in. Uh, and we believe, as I shared last week, that if that happens, that the secondary goal should be a reality. And so, again, just for transparency, I want to be as upfront as I can. Our secondary goal through renovation is that over two years as a church, uh, we would raise $13 million. And uh, that, that's, that, that, that sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Uh, those funds would cover two years of our operating budget. Those funds would help us deepen and strengthen and lengthen our ministry at all of our physical locations. And then what I'm really excited about, as elders, we've decided that should we meet or if we exceed, we'll readjust this. But should we meet the $13 million goal, uh, then $1.5 million will go straight to missions. And so that will be the most 
as a church, we've sent to missions in a 24-month period in the history uh, of BT. And so um, we believe God is on the move. And so, uh, again, he- hear me say a few things. Uh, this is about recognizing what God has done for 38 years. It's about believing he's doing something right now. And it's about setting us up, setting us up faithfully for what God intends to do. I, I want to be as clear as I can. Absolutely, the subject of generosity is central to what we're doing. But hear me, it is not the only thing that we're talking about. Beloved, we, we can begin to give of our, of our resources. We can, we can begin to give generous with our finances. But if our heart doesn't belong to Jesus, then it's just religious action, right? It's about out of the relational identity, understanding what Jesus has done. There is no greater gift than Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, we want to be a giving people. And it's about believing that the best is yet to come, that God is going to do what? Above and beyond all we could ask or think. According to the money we give, according to the power that works in us, right? So that glory, glory can begin to be given to Jesus in the church for all generations. And so if you... When you show up to church, if the preacher starts talking about money, you get a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask you to do. With the fullness of the grace of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to get over it. And I'm going to ask, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to commit to prayer. What God would have for you, not, not just in six weeks and with a commitment card, but in your life, when he has all of you, what he wants to do. So what we're going to do starting today, last week laid the foundation for renovation, and we went to kind of the theme passage, which is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Again, you can catch that sermon online. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, John writes in this vision that he had received, and he, he says he saw a new heaven and a new earth because the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. He writes about what he heard Jesus speaking from the throne of heaven, saying, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will wipe away every tear from their eye and grief and pain and death will be no more. And then in verse 5, really the foundation for this initiative and this series, Jesus says, behold or take notice, don't miss this, right? Extra, extra, read all about it, right? Behold... I am making all things new. And what I believe God is doing in our church where 95 people in 10 weeks have experienced the greatest miracle that ever happens, which is salvation. That that 40 people by the end of today would have gone public with that decision. I believe God in his grace is inviting us in the making of things new. Whether or not we join him, he's doing it. What Jesus said, I will make things new if people will give money. I will make things new if, if churches will, will help me out because I need their help. No, he says, I am making all things new. The question is, will, will we join in? And beloved, let me just say this before I get to the text today. What I believe is going to happen over two years is, is some of us that are faithfully giving to the church, God's going to challenge us to expanded greater levels of generosity. It's going to stretch us. And, and, and celebrate the obedience that God will call us to. I believe for many in our church that, that, that many people will begin to give for the first time. And they'll experience the freedom that comes through trusting God with everything. 
And there'll, there'll be some people that the, the, the enemy will want to shame and say, well, you've never given. What does it matter? No, you can, you, your gift is so insignificant. They're talking about the people that can really give. Listen, we're talking about everybody. And this is what I believe to be true. What God is going to do through our faithfulness, we will not know the full result probably till we get to heaven. Because a million and a half dollars going to missions, we, we won't know how that affects the ends of the earth. But never underestimate what happens when you say yes to God. Because, beloved, what's going to happen at the end of this service is we're going to have some baptisms. One of those baptisms is going to be a student who gave their life to Jesus at one weekend. That came to one weekend because someone in our church was burdened to provide a financial gift that they might come. You catch that? Someone was challenged to be generous. That allowed someone to come to hear the word, and then today to choose baptism and obedience. Well, hear my heart. Money's one of the last things I want to preach about. It's not about money. It's about what happens when God gets a hold of the people that he has purchased, by the way. He has purchased with what? The blood of his son, Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what a renovation looks like starting today and for the next five weeks. You know, if you've done a renovation project uh, most renovations begin with a level of demolition, right? Uh, maybe you're going to redo that bathroom so you tear out the old tub, or you're going to redo the kitchen. You're going you're to tear down some walls, and with, with that demolition, maybe, maybe an extra foundation gets poured to expand that bedroom, and, and then construction begins. So we're going to use these, the, the, these images of renovation as we go through the next few weeks, and today we're going to start with demolition. And let me say, it may be challenging, in demolition, things get torn down, right? But beloved, hear me. This is not about what God simply wants to tear down. It's about what he wants to build up. It's about what he wants to build up. And so in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is writing to a people who live in the town of Galatia, right? And what you need to know, in case you're not real familiar, what you need to know about the people in Galatia is that many of them struggled to fully comprehend that Jesus was enough. They were coming out of a highly legalistic religious world. They were coming out of a background where religious activity was what would determine your right standing with God. And by the way, Paul could relate. Paul, if you're not familiar with this, the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament, right? He was originally named Saul. God changed his name by that first consonant. And so Saul, stay with me, Saul of Tarsus, right, he was, he was super religious. He was doing things that the organized church thought were good, including persecuting the people of Jesus. They weren't fully organized yet, right? And then one day as he's going through town to town, breathing threats and providing persecution, the voice of Jesus speaks to him on the road of Damascus. He is blinded, and Jesus says, hey, just for the record, bub, I'm the one you're persecuting, and everything changes for Saul, who would become Paul, a man who was seeking right standing with God with good actions. And by the way, that's not something unique to Paul's time. Today, there are people in churches across our country with all different signs on the, all different names on the church sign that are trying to be right with God because of what they can do. Beloved, we cannot do it. That's why Jesus had to die. We, we, we have to have the gift of Jesus. We have to have the payment of his sacrifice and the victory of his empty tomb because we actually cannot do enough 
to save ourselves. And so the people of Galatia, they're struggling because they've heard of Jesus and, and they even believe in Jesus, but they're still not, at least some of them, they're still not convinced that it's all Jesus, right? But beloved, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We, we actually don't bring anything to the table. We, we just bring our yes. We, 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 Romans 10, 9, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. It's not, it's not just simply saying a prayer, which I believe in leading people in what we call a sinner's prayer because it helps, it helps provide some traction to what people are feeling. But, but to simply say words without the belief that you need Jesus accomplishes nothing. Yesterday was my 25th spiritual birthday, right? March 4th of 1998, I said yes to Jesus. Thank you. I did not do so with religious ignorance. What do I mean? I grew up in a family who, who I had parents that loved the Lord and served the church. I had three older brothers that had given their life to Jesus. I, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I knew all about church. I had Bible verses memorized. But really what I had was religious activity. But then March 4th, Jesus made known to me that I did not know him in a personal way. And it's not simply that that evening of March 4th, 1998, I said some words. It's that I said what I was believing in my heart, that I was not enough. And that I needed Jesus to, to act on my behalf. And I needed to receive his gift, his death on the cross, his resurrection. So that's, I say all that, say that's what Paul was dealing with as he writes this letter to the Galatian church. He's helping them understand that their legalism and, and their good works are not what God is going to be impressed with. It's them saying yes to Jesus. And so with that understanding, let's listen to what Paul would write in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 18. He says, if I rebuild those things I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, whom loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so this, this, this man who had all this religion who was striving to keep the law, says, hey, I'm not going to rebuild that which has been torn down. And by the way, when God does the work of demolition, he reveals to us what needs to come down. He invites us to join him in that. Thus, Paul says, that which I tore down. But hear me, beloved, if you will not join God in the tearing down of those things in your life that are not of him, he will lead you to a point of brokenness. Those walls will come down. In his grace, he invites us to be a part of it. And so this super, formerly super religious guy says, I'm not actually going to rebuild that which has been torn down because then I would be a lawbreaker. And, and so what, what does this tell us about the demolition God wants to do in our lives? Well, well hear me, beloved. First off, demolition reveals. Why don't you write that down? Demolition reveals every individual who lives a life of faith and surrender, that faith and surrender flows out of a transformed life. That transformed life is a reality because some things were exposed in their lives, some things were revealed, and they trusted that to God. 
all of us that have said yes to Jesus, it, it was revealed to us that we couldn't do it ourselves, right? It was revealed that we were a sinner in need of a Savior, and as that was revealed, we then called upon the name of Jesus. But here's the amazing thing about renovation, right? I said this last week. I'm going to say it every week. The amazing thing about renovation is God wants to do something in us so he can do something through us. And that renovation, it doesn't stop when we say yes to Jesus because what happens, some of us know this to be true, we've walked with Jesus long enough, is we say yes to Jesus, but then we start to adopt patterns of the world instead of transforming our mind, we're conforming. And we start to let some outside things get on the inside and we stop to maybe practice the disciplines that keep us close to Jesus and we start to let our priorities get turned upside down and so you know gathering with the saints in church we do that as long as nothing else really takes precedence and when that happens we need renovation and we need God to reveal that which we need to work on. Hear me beloved if you will seek God in this season of renovation, I, I promise for many, if not all of us, God is going to reveal some things in us that we've got to deal with. And the enemy is going to try to silence and scare you out of it. Because for some, listen, we're talking about generosity. For, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, what we're going to come to grips with is that maybe we haven't been giving or we have, but the truth is we're not giving our first and best. And we can't change that until, until we let that be revealed. But it may not be that. It might be that, that some of us are, are, are dealing with species of pride. And we, we, we may know it's there. We just want to ignore it, right? But when God starts to reveal things, it gets uncomfortable. It might be some pride or self-righteousness. It might be what we think is a secret sin. The funny thing about what God reveals, he already knows about it. Let me just say this, beloved, your secret sin is not a secret. God knows. And the reason why God reveals, the enemy will, will want us to believe that he wants to condemn us and shame us. God reveals because he does not simply want to tear down. He wants to build up. God reveals because he wants life to flow through us. God reveals because of his great love for us. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. He loves us too much to stay distant. Maybe you've been a part of a renovation project, right? I mean, don't, don't raise your hand, but some of you have done a renovation at your home. And, and when you started that process, you said these famous last words. Oh, it's an easy, small project. Right? You ever, you ever say, you ever look, oh, you know, we're going to do this. My wife and I, we've, we've talked about some renovation we, we want to do at our home. Um, we're not going to do that for the next 15 years because we're two years from college. And um, not us, our children. And so, Yeah. Four kids, all two years apart, seemed like a great idea. You know, just in case you're wondering, what does that look like? Well, that, that means in 2006, we started buying diapers, and we stopped buying diapers in 2015, right? Uh, and I'll, you know, I look back, and I can joke about that, but, but now that, that I have a sophomore in high school, I start thinking, hold on a second, diapers were one thing. That means I'll start paying for college in 2025, and I'll stop paying for college in 2030. I don't even want to think about it, right? So... <laughs> We won't be doing any, reno any renovation soon, but, but nonetheless, maybe you, you thought, hey, let's just do, the, hey, hey, honey, let's do this little renovation. Oh, yeah, that doesn't seem like a big deal at all. In fact, we could do it ourselves, right? And, and so then you, you get the hammer out and you start tearing into the wall. You're like, we're, gonna, we're just going to take this one wall down. That's all. And then you take the one wall down and the ceiling comes with it because that was called a load-bearing wall, right? Or, you know, we're just going to open up the bedroom. We're going to, and so you, you, 
You're going to open up the bedroom, and you also notice you've been having all this congestion and these headaches. You don't know why. And then you pull the sheetrock off, and your studs are covered with mold, right? You're like, ah, that's why I feel terrible. I live in a mold-infested house, right? But, but here's the deal. If you've, and hopefully you haven't experienced that, but, but inevitably somebody has, right? But let's just say that, that that's a, a, a real scenario. You begin to do a renovation. Renovation reveals, right? Demolition reveals what is beneath the surface and behind the walls. And if you are renovating your home and you pull that sheetrock off and you notice your studs are covered in mold, it's been revealed. But if you just go, oh, and cover it back up, guess what? Nothing changes. Hear me, beloved. God is going to speak to us. And yes, for many of us, it will be connected to our generosity because that's kind of the core of what we're pushing. And, and don't be misled, by the way. Many times, people in the church, we want to believe that we have given God all of ourselves as long as we get to manage our checkbook. But it won't just be that. God is going to reveal that secret sin that you think is secret. God's going to reveal the pride. God's going to reveal what in that marriage needs to be worked on. God is revealing things through the work of demolition. But as he reveals, the enemy is going to want us just to go, okay, let's cover that back up. But it's only when we do the hard work of remediation, right? And this isn't popular today, and, you know, preachers shouldn't say it. But, beloved, many times what is revealed in the spiritual demolition of our lives, it can be dealt with, but it is a costly price to deal with it. And I, I don't mean actually giving. I mean getting off the throne of our lives and letting Jesus get back on it. Many of us, we get to those places of spiritual distance, and many of us, we fall into the, the patterns of addiction. And, and, and many of us, our marriages, they, they begin to fall apart, and many of us, continue to disregard what the word of God says about relationships and, and, and about financial management and, and about all these things. You know why? Because we are firmly rooted on the throne of our lives. And we've got to get off, and it is a costly endeavor. It is a costly endeavor, but Paul says, I, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to rebuild that which has been torn down. It was, listen, Paul, as, as Saul, he, he was living the life. He was inevitably a, a man of resources. He was tracking for the highest rung on his career ladder. I believe that Paul was most likely in the running to become high priest. Like, he's got things going on. And then he gets blinded on the road to Damascus, and that whole world comes crumbling down. And what does he say? I don't want to rebuild that nonsense. I don't, I, I don't want to rebuild that which has been torn down. Beloved, hear me. God wants to do a work in your life. He wants you to know the fullness of living the promise, his protection and his provision. But we will have to allow him to reveal that which must be addressed. And so demolition reveals, but demolition also, number two, write this down, restores. It restores, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live 
for God. Paul says, I'm not going to rebuild that which has been torn down. I'm not going to go back to trying to be the most religious person exclusively because I now live in relationship with God. Though I died, I I live is what he is saying. And, And beloved, hear me, demolition restores that which God wants to reveal in our hearts. Whether it's about our generosity or about our pride, our self-righteousness, uh, our addictions, our, our, our homes, whatever it is, that which he wants to reveal, it may be painful. We may want to keep it behind closed doors, but when we allow God to reveal it, and this is where we join him in the work. And let me repeat, if you have given your life to Jesus and God has revealed Areas of your life that need a demolition, if you will not join him in the work, he will bring you to the point of brokenness. It is not a matter of whether or not it gets done. It's a matter of how it gets done. And and when we begin to walk with him, what we begin to understand is that the demolition of God in our lives is a restoration process. For some of us, you know what this initiative is going to do? It's not simply going to challenge us to give more. It's going to bring us back to a point of total surrender. It's going to bring, some of us, we're going to go back to a life of dependence, a life that we, we know we used to live. And then, and then we, you know, and then we had kids and, and we got promotions and we opened the business and, and, and or the business failed. And, and through the, the challenges of life and through, through the teaching of culture, we have taken the reins back. And what's interesting is some of us know this to be true is that when we do what the world says and we take control of our lives, things seem more out of whack than ever, don't they? And we think back, and sometimes we think, we think, oh, those were just simpler days, right? My wife and I will talk, oh, before we had kids, it was so much easier, and, or this, or this, you know. But it wasn't actually a station of life. Usually when I think back, when I find myself stressed or anxious or or grasping at the reins of my life, and I think back to when it was easier. Almost every time what was easier is that the truth is, in those other seasons, I was fully trusting God. And then somewhere, I started to take control. It doesn't mean that following Jesus is a passive activity, beloved. Right? Sometimes we want to over-spiritualize things, and we, we, well, I just need a clear answer. This is the clear answer. Following Jesus is an active reality. Right? But many of us, all of us that have given our life to him, we also know what it looks like for him to be the captain of the ship versus us, to lay down our desires. And what's amazing is when God begins to do the restoration work in us through that demolition, yeah, it affects the way we give because it affects the way we live. And I think for some of us, we're going to go back to that reliance, that dependence upon him. We're going to go back to that place where we trust him with everything that we have. He's not simply going to restore, he's not simply, I'm sorry, he's not simply going to reveal, he's going to restore that which, would, which we have allowed to be taken. He's going he's gonna to inevitably change our wants. What's so amazing is when we start saying yes to God in his way, he starts shaping us to want the things that he wants. Paul the apostle wanted very different things than Saul, the religious leader. How did those wants change? Because God got a hold of him and didn't just reveal things that needed to be torn down, but he built up that which needed to be restored. 
You know, I've said this quote many times. I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to give a little bit of context. There's a, a famous preacher that's gone on to be with the Lord, Adrian Rogers. And Adrian Rogers said, God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it, right? And it's a great quote, and I've said it many times. But what I haven't done is I haven't really explained it, right? And so I apologize if I've said it in the past and you've heard it, and, and basically you've just left thinking, well, I don't want the right things, right? That's not the heart of what Dr. Rogers was saying. When he said, God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it, he wasn't simply saying to his church, you don't want the right things, you bunch of dummies. What he was saying was that there is a want that God has for us that we may not yet have, but we can. You catch that? God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it. But God in his grace has given us the ability to have the sense to want it. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we start trusting, that's why generosity is so critical to the life of the believer. At the end of the day, while it makes us uncomfortable, generosity is so critical to the life of the believer because, again, Jesus spoke of money more than heaven. Why? Because he knew the connection between the heart and the possessions. And, and we, we, we get trained to want certain things. And many times those things are not bad. They're actually neutral, but they're also very temporal, meaning they're for the here and now. And, and what we start to do is we start to take neutral things and they become bad because we want them to provide what only Jesus can provide, which is meaning and life and peace and purpose. But the more we let God do a demolition in our hearts, remember, renovation is in us so God can work through us. And, and when God begins to restore that which needs to be restored, when God begins to restore our dependence upon him, our complete surrender to him, what starts to happen in an amazing way is we start to want the things that he wants for us because we now have the sense to want it. We have the sense to want it. And, and beloved, this is something that I have not mastered. But I look at my life at, at almost 44 years of age with four kids. And I think back to my life at 34 and at 24. And go back to 14, but, you know, come on, that was 14. And I wasn't, I wasn't a believer. So we'll go 30. And, and there were things that I wanted at 24 and 34 that were not bad things. But there were secondary things. Beloved, there were things I wanted December of 2014 when God called and you affirmed me to be the senior pastor of this church. Good things. And it was just part of the growth process. And now what I realize is it wasn't that it was bad things, it was secondary things. Let, let, me, let me just real quick paint a picture. When I first came back to BT to serve in this role of senior pastor, with a, I believe with a pure heart, I wanted a level of revival to break out in South Texas that would be transformative. I wanted the church to grow like it never had before. And it wasn't because I wanted to be a pastor of a big church. I, I really believed that. And I was 35 when I assumed this role. Be 44 next month, hear me. I still, I still want those things to happen but they're not my primary prayer. My primary pr prayer is that I would experience revival. That I would have things stripped away from me that keeps me from having a full vision of Jesus. That's, that's, that's just to pull back, the, that's what I pray now. I, I, yeah, I, I, I pray out of that that we would experience revival, but my number one desire isn't that we would grow and all the good things. My number one desire is that I would grow that I would surrender more. 
Because inevitably, I say this all the time, but like inevitably one of two things is going to happen when it comes to my service to this church. Jesus, well, I guess there's technically three things. I always say two. Jesus comes back and then we're all gone. Hopefully, right? You know Jesus. If not, you'll have a chance before the end of the service. Jesus comes back. Jesus takes me home through my natural death. Or Jesus reassigns me, right? And if my greatest desire and purpose is tied up simply in the ministry God's called me to, then it's lacking. But if it's tied up in what he wants to do in me, then what he does through me is secondary. You catch that? I believe through our generosity, God is going to do things through that. But the reason why our first goal is not a numeric, our first goal in $13 million, our first goal is 100% participation because my greatest desire is not what God will do through our church, but what he will do in it. And that comes through understanding God's going to do some hard work of demolition. But in the revealing of that which is not of him, he will restore us back to him. Which then will allow demolition to go to the final phase, which is this. Demolition releases. Demolition releases. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I have been crucified, put to death, torn down, demolished, but yet I live. Not simply for myself, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, he says, I live purpose. Like, you know, people are all about, I live by purpose. Nothing wrong with purpose. The life I live, I live by purpose. I live by drive. I live by ambition. The life I now live, I live by faith. Because the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, if we are going to see and experience God do a work of revival in us and, yes, through us, it will be because because the purposes and the ways and the plans of God have been released in us. This is when we move from simply living to John 10.10, living life to the fullest. This is when we, we aren't simply concerned with how we can accumulate more to spend more. But when we understand we have peace that passes understanding. This is when we understand that God's ways, even though they're not our ways, are for our best. This is when we start to have the sense to want that which, which God wants for us. Demolition will release us not to stop living, but to fully live. To live life by faith. Yes, beloved, as we talk about our generosity initiative, I'm asking you as you join us to, to pray and to give by faith. Because as we live and as we give by faith, we start to truly understand what it means to live a fully surrendered life. Paul says, I live this way because of him who loved me and what gave himself for me. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. Ready? Listen to this. Gave. Simply put, godly attitudes value eternity. G-A-V-E, godly attitudes, attitudes that reflect God will value eternity. 
in obedience to the Father, the Son, and the Son Jesus came and gave himself up as a ransom for many. Paul says, I now live a released life. I live a full life, and it's a life by faith because of the one who loved me and through godly attitudes valued my eternity, gave himself up for me. I echo this again. We'll celebrate a baptism today for, of a young person because someone gave so that that person could hear the gospel. We, listen to me. We don't know what God is going to do with what we give. And don't you let the enemy tell you that you don't need to join in or participate because what you give is insignificant. The Bible is chock full with people that, that, that to the world standards had an insignificant amount to give. But when we trust God with the ordinary, he does the extraordinary. And I promise you this to be true, that one day when we are in our eternal home, I believe this to be true, that in that moment we will understand the fullness of what God did through our obedience and our valuing of eternity. Listen, we don't talk about giving simply because it's about some building project. We talk about giving because we are committed to taking the gospel across South Texas and the world because the greatest problem the world faces is not hunger. We need to do things about it. It's not disease. We need to do things about it. It's not political issues. We need to do things about them. The single greatest problem the world faces is lostness. Because being apart from Jesus is the only problem that has eternal consequences. But God has given. The question is, what will, what will we do in response? God has given, what will we do? Today, as we close in worship, what I believe some of us will need to do is, like many did last week, is you may, you may want to come to this altar and just spend some time in prayer. Maybe you, you want to pray about what, what God wants to do in you and through you. Maybe for some, you're, you're close to that point and you want to specifically pray what God would call you to give. Maybe for some, there are burdens in your life and you won't have clarity to know what to give until you let God address those burdens. It's a health reality. It's a financial, relational, and you need to let that go. Maybe there's some dreams you're holding on to. And by prayer, you need to ask God to reshape your dreams, to teach you to want what he wants. If you're in this room as we worship, there'll be a prayer team here to pray with you and over you. Maybe part of your demolition will be a step of obedience. It will be saying, you know what, I'm going to reprioritize my life to value the, the, the time of worship with the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose community. I'm going to start serving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose obedience. I'm going to get baptized. But maybe for someone in this room or online... Maybe your next step will be the first step because the first demolition God does is he takes the heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. That's spiritual talk for saying God takes that which is dead and when we say yes to Jesus, he gives it life. And today, like Saul of Tarsus, maybe some of us have some religious activity, but we need what Saul got on the road to Damascus, which is relational identity. Beloved, you can start giving and you can give generously. You can give great amounts, but if Jesus isn't at the seat of your heart, it doesn't matter. Because when Jesus isn't on the throne, then, then we're just striving for approval that's not available through our works, but through his. So today, if you don't know where you stand before a holy God, meaning you don't know if you said yes to Jesus, then, then I invite you to get that taken care of. I invite you to secure your identity in Christ 
I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. Again, it's not a magic formula. Listen to me, beloved. I said a similar prayer in 1987. But it wasn't until 1998 when I said a similar prayer again that things changed. It wasn't simply what I was confessing with my mouth. It was what I was believing in my heart. I was believing in my heart in 98 that I needed a Savior. I understood that. And today, if you know you need a Savior and you know that Jesus is that Savior, then where you are, I invite you to say this prayer with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, then I ask you to say this prayer with me today. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I'm far from you, and I know that I'm hopeless without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe that he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose again in victory and defeated sin. And so Jesus, today I trust you with my life and I receive your gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. I ask that you would help me live for you every day of my life. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.